Good morning, Father Anderson. Well, hello, Rabbi Durbin. It's always good to start off my morning seeing your bright, shining face. You just bring joy and light to my life every morning. You know, you know, Father Anderson, on the on the like hundreds of hours that we've spent together, um, uh, this is the highlight of my day besides Shabbat and community. Um, uh, nothing gives me greater pleasure than 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 seeing you. Well, let, 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 let's cut to the chase here. We are now at a place where you and I can go grab some lunch together again soon. I think we can go outdoors, find a nice place, grab a sandwich, and just go back to the good old days when it was just a priest and a rabbi hanging out and grabbing a burger and, and talking about what the heck are we going to do for our show. Signing autographs. Signing autographs. We, yeah, as we travel around the, the culture behemoth of Stewart, Florida, and have people just chase us down. At least police officers chasing you down. Uh, well, my just will comment and say, somebody asked the other day, you know, what she, she's doing. She starts doing things. And she goes, oh, you know, my dad's on the radio. He's got this show with Father Anderson from St. Mary's called The Priest and the Rabbi. You really want to download it. She sends us to another nine-year-old. This is fantastic. So, so keep it clean. Let's keep it clean on this podcast. we got nine-year-olds here. Nine-year-olds here in Stewart and uh, adults in Yemen. We 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 cover the whole thing. So listen, man. We you, let's. It, it, we were always trying to try to get in the to 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 get in the gap to find out where is the middle ground. I think in the Anglican world we call that the via media. How do we create the space for both sides to talk? And sometimes when you're out there being an activist for your faith, being an activist for what spiritual values lead us to, you there there you you enter into a divided world. Uh, and uh, I think Rabbi Durbin, you through your connection and through your network, because you are just a, a little rock star, you were able to pull a pretty big fish in to come to the show this morning. Can you tell us about what we're about to get into today? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. We have we have a special guest coming to us out of West Hollywood, California, out of Los Angeles, uh, Rabbi Denise Egger, uh, who is the rabbi of um, um, Congregation Temple uh, Kolani in West Hollywood. Uh, she is a huge activist and um, just a a moral and just uh, outstanding, outstanding individual who has dedicated her life um, for the pursuit of social justice and just you know, knowing deep down in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds of, 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 of really seeing each other as, um, as individuals, as people and not discriminating, not using um, uh, our judgments and, and really trying to focus in on humanity and, and, and pressing, uh, pressing forward uh, towards, you know, uh, acknowledgement, reconciliation and really being, be, being a strong advocate and a, a, a very powerful voice, not only for the reformed Jewish world that we've I currently live in, we currently live in, uh, but certainly um, a voice uh, worldwide of uh, coming together. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to have uh, Rabbi Denise Egger here. Uh, I think she, I think she just flew in from LA. So I think she's, uh, she's here via and Father Anderson to use your language on uh, on Zoom airlines. So we are just wonderful, and it is uh, just a pleasure to have and to welcome uh, Rabbi Denise Egger. Hi, friends. I'm so glad. Oh my gosh. She arrived. She's here. Okay, good, 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 good. We didn't know if your flight was going to arrive on time. Well, she, she definitely it's it's a little early, but it's on time. Oh man, you got the red eye here, so this is good. All right. Well, Rabbi Denise, I've heard so much. We've read a lot about you, and uh, you have a book to tell us about, and so many stories to tell us about how to really be an advocate for our faiths and also create the space for people on both sides to really have a conversation about that. How do we do that here in this uh, in this twenty first century? Um, but really stick up for the values that God has shown us um, through through his holy scripture. So we, this is gonna be a good one. This is gonna be a really good one. So, uh, and listen, everyone, um, 
you know other people who are going to want to hear this podcast. This is a time where you want to think about, I'm going to share this podcast with someone and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to leave a comment. And even if you don't like this podcast, even if you think a priest and a rabbi are just stupid people, you leaving a comment actually helps our algorithm. And, and will so even as you hate on us, you will spread love because iTunes will say, hey, people are commenting. Let's share this podcast. So Rabbi Denise, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's 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 have these conversations of healing and reconciliation. Rabbi Durbin, I'm putting you in the driver's seat. It's from you to put your foot on the pedal. Go zero to 60 quick, man. Are you ready to roll? You're in a Dodge Challenger 2012 with a Hemi wrapped up. Are you ready to do this? I'm born ready. I'm born ready. Let's do it. from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or a Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good morning, Stewart, Florida. It is a priest and a rabbi. Uh, it is an exciting morning here in seemingly uh, sunny Florida. Um, it is not often that I get to do the intro into our program. Um, as you all know, for probably 100 episodes, Father Anderson has let us in. Uh, but it is wonderful to have uh, Father Anderson join us today, as well as a very special guest uh, to whom we have out of Los Angeles, California. Um, and uh, we're, we're ready. We're poised. So, Father Anderson, how are you doing this morning? Doing well, man. You know, we're about to hit the Super Bowl over here. And so it is just... Uh, um... It's, it's it's stacking up, you know. So as you know, as the doors are open, we're just getting approved for what is Christmas going to look like. How do we do that safely? There's so many policies that are going to happen. We have the Advent season coming up, um, so we just went from zero to sixty pretty darn quickly. And uh, there's a lot of other programmatic things that are happening. Uh, so it's uh, it's exciting, but at the same time, it's a little nerve wracking because everything you do, you have to do it really, really right. Obviously, in this COVID world we're in, and um, and so you have to bring in a lot of teams of people and health specialists to make sure we're doing it correct. But it's good; it's real good. So we're getting ready to roll, them, man. Your family, your son. Family. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the kid is great. He's just crawling now, so now he's moving all over the place. And uh, my wife is back to work, so now we're going to start figuring out how we do this. Uh, this uh, uh, working from home with our baby and uh, and or working at the office. So we're going to start creating that tag team that so many parents do. So it's a, uh, it'll be fun. Well, if you need a babysitter, I, 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 I'm more than, I'm more than willing to, to pawn one of my daughters off on your son. If you're down for that. I mean, if Ellie would come over and babysit my child, that'd be wonderful. She, you know, yeah. your son would get very well versed in TikTok very quickly. I, that that would be that'd be fantastic. Tell them to tell her has she has she subscribed to our TikTok. My wife and I have a TikTok. 
she 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 she's learning. She's learning. Okay. All right. Although every now and then I do catch her going on her uh, whatever it is Google Home going. Google, play me a priest and a rabbi, episode 67. That's wonderful. God bless her. That's that she, she, she's the real deal. So we have uh, we have a very exciting morning uh, today. Um, we do have a very special guest, and I am very honored to have um, um, our guest with us today. Uh, she comes out of Los Angeles, California. Uh, she is Rabbi Denise Egger. Um, she is an international Jewish leader and social justice activist. She is the founding rabbi of Congregation Kolami in West Hollywood, California. She has been the past president of the Central Conference of American Rabbis, an international organization of over 2,300 rabbis uh, around the world, reform rabbis. She has served as the first openly gay um, or lesbian person in that position. She was also the first woman ever elected as president of the Southern California Board of Rabbis, which includes both reform, conservative, reconstructionist, and orthodox uh, rabbis. Rabbi Egger is also the editor of the groundbreaking uh, new book called Mishkan Gava, where pride dwells, a celebration of LGBTQ uh, Jewish life and ritual, uh, which was just recently published. Um, it is a collection of LGBT prayers, poems, liturgy, and rituals, uh, both as a spiritual resource and a celebratory affirmation of Jewish diversity. Um, Rabbi Egger is, uh, was named as one of the 50 most influential Jews by the Jewish Daily Forward in 2008 and one of the 50 most influential women rabbis in 2010. In October of 2011, Rabbi Egger was one of the gay icons of Equality Forum's LGBT History Month. Um, she is a longtime uh, HIV AIDS activist and still facilitates a long running of HIV support groups. Um, she officiated at the first legal wedding for a lesbian couple in California. She has been a strong leading voice for LGBTQ equality, women's rights and human rights. She was a founding member of the Human Rights Campaign Religion and Faith uh, Department. Rabbi Egger was raised in Memphis, Tennessee, graduated with honors from the University of Southern California with a bachelor's degree in religion in, uh, won't say what year. She received her master's degree from Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion in uh, 1985, ordained as a rabbi in 88 on the New York campus. Rabbi Egger is also uh, married to Rabbi Eleanor Steinman, Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Austin, Texas. She has one son, Benjamin, who lives and works in Dallas. Uh, if you want more information about Rabbi Egger, uh, you can follow her on Twitter um, or on her blog, Walking Humbly, Seeking Justice, Living with Hope. So it gives me and all of us great pleasure to welcome to the program and to our show, Rabbi Denise Egger. Hi, friends. Good morning. So great to be with you. Wonderful to have you. And again, just for our listeners out there, um, uh, we give we give a lot of respect to, to Rabbi Egger for joining us at a uh, ungodly hour um, of like yeah, six a.m. It's it's still dark here. It's still it's dark. dark here. You know, like it hasn't the sun hasn't risen yet. So uh, Rabbi Egger, what what time did you wake up this morning? Uh, Five thirty. And is that is that a regular wake up time for you? And usually, I'm up already. Well, wow. <laughs> Which is why I was like when when Rabbi said, "Well, we're on it," and I said, "Oh, well, I'll be up then." 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, last time we had a West Coast person, he got up, did the show, and went back to bed. I think. Remember? Yeah. That? Well, that's the, there might be a nap in my future this afternoon before yeah. Shabbat. You know. <laughs> well, it's it's not often we can get West Coast guests, so we thank you. Usually they turn it down because of that. And yeah, we well, I'm really you. glad to be here with you both. This is good. This is good. And you, knowing you're on a rabbi and a priest show uh, during our talk before the we went on air, you it sounds like you are familiar with the Episcopal denomination and you have some allies. in, the, in the I, I do. I have a lot. I have a lot of friends, uh, priests and, and elders uh, uh, who uh, we, we do. We've done a lot of work in our congregation here with uh, All Saints Episcopal in Pasadena, uh, with uh, All Saints in Beverly Hills, which is the town right next door to uh, my, congreg- my congregation's little town of West Hollywood. Um, so uh, we have a lot of uh, activist friends. And you know that, so I was formed from All Saints Beverly Hills. Oh. They sent, so Reverend Carol Anderson, when yes, the women ordained, she was, it was, I don't Rockstar. know what happened, but someday she said, I think you could become a priest. So that was weird. There was prescription medication. We, we've helped her with that, but uh, no, she, she's my hero. She's my hero. So that's awesome. She's, a, she's quite a, she's quite an inspirational person. A force. She's a force. So, so, you know, looking at, looking at the, the, the situation that, that, um, you know, we're in today and, and Rabbi Egger, just to kind of, you know, talk to you about, you know, what were, what were some of your challenges or struggles um both as 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 coming out as openly gay within within the community uh, you founded the congregation call me um and correct me if i'm wrong i believe in 1992 yeah. um w- w- what was that like for you i mean was it was it was it a very open society where people were craving community and coming together to be able to worship in a way that they felt comfortable um take us through that, that those are good those are really good questions rabbi and uh, i think i think it's really important for your listeners to understand that first of all that reform judaism is a completely embracing and welcoming um uh, community in terms of lgbtq people non-binary people um but that wasn't always the case it's was it's been a long struggle and i've had the honor and privilege of being part of that transformative change so that um, we can learn to really love all of God's children. I mean, the underlying principle and foundation in Jewish life is a notion uh, from, in Hebrew, we call B'Tselem Elohim, that all are created in God's image. It doesn't say all straight people, doesn't say all white people, but it just says all. So um, if we're really going to live out that ideal, then we have to understand what that means. And mm-hmm. so um, I was ordained at a time uh, when it was you were not allowed to be openly gay and uh, a rabbi. And um, in fact, we had underground an underground group of us who uh, at in seminary uh, and um, that we were each other's support in a really awful time. You know, the eight, the eighties was a time uh, 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 the emerging AIDS pandemic. Um, it was really scary to think that you were called to ministry, if I'll use your language of your tradition, Christian, <laughs> um, to be able to go out into the world. And, um, you know, if somebody found you out, you were you were kicked out of school. I have, um, I know a number of people who were at seminary and, um, let's say, relieved of duties. Um, mm. And so I was ordained at a time when you could not be openly gay and be a rabbi. Um, Hmm. And so I wasn't, I wasn't, I I wasn't, I was in what I used to call the plexiglass closet. It wasn't so easy, difficult to find out. But on the other hand, um, so I I didn't have a job when I was ordained. Hmm. uh, Because 
people said, Denise, we really like you and um, we really love to have you, but I can't hire somebody who's a lesbian. So I didn't have many options. And so there was in Los Angeles at the time, there was one congregation that formed in 1972 out of metropolitan community churches, Reverend Troy Perry, who founded an entire movement of gay churches. Uh, Jews, there was no other alternatives in those years. You went to a bar or you went to church. So the Jews often went, they weren't members of the church, but they went for social support. Uh, uh, and um, out of that grew a synagogue. And so I became the, a rab, the first full-time rabbi of that synagogue uh, after ordination. It was the only position available to me. Mm. Um, and they told me at the time, Denise, you'll never work again if you take that job. Wow. Um, uh, so, you know, part of the reason that we started as another synagogue here in the LA area was during the height of the AIDS crisis, right? 92 was the height. There wasn't medicine yet. And so there was really a need. People were people would get diagnosed and die within you know five weeks. Not unlike with the coronavirus pandemic, right? People get tested positive. They're struggling, struggling, and people are dying. I mean, yesterday we had uh, how many ninety thousand uh, new uh, diagnoses in in the United States? It's out. It's outrageous. Mm -hmm. um, so. So uh, there was really a need for a community. And the city of West Hollywood is a separate municipality surrounded by LA and Beverly Hills and um, known as a place of gay safety, always has been, was formed that way, kind of like Key West or Provincetown, um, San Francisco Castro district. Um, so there was a need. There was a need for safe space, for a, a queer positive space, for a place for um, people to be themselves. And so that's what we started. And we started, we really are West Hollywood's reform synagogue. We didn't start to be a gay synagogue. We started to be a progressive place where gay and straight people together uh, would live out their, their Jewish values. Hmm. And what you, gave you the courage? Oh, sorry, Rabbi. No, no, Two okay. rabbis. Sorry, Matthew Durbin. Um, that, that when you made that decision, though, say, I'm going to be, I'm going to accept this call to be uh, the, the rabbi you know, of this, of this, um, of this temple, you did, were you nervous where when someone said you'll never work again, did you have any fear or were you like, no, this is so clear what I'm supposed well, to do? Well, I, I, I think I was just young and naive, you know, I think that, and, and people were dying all around me, you know, Father Anderson. I mean, I don't think people, people don't remember what it was like. Um, and, and in those early years, there were the let these things will sound the same. The government was did nothing. They did. They had no plan. They refused to recognize that there was a problem, that it was a public health problem. They further went to stigmatize gay people as a part of it. And so the LGBT community was forced into creating an infrastructure, its own infrastructure, its own health infrastructure, mental health infrastructure, legal infrastructure, everything. And that including expanding spiritual infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I, I was, um, I, I would, at those years was like having to schlep all over LA, uh, basically to visit young people who were dying. I mean, I was 28 at the time. What did I know? 30 years old. Um, but most, most, I think, I think Rabbi Durbin would know that like most rabbis, when they get ordained, like, oh, they go to be an assistant in a large congregation and they work with the youth and they work, they work with the preschool, the early childhood center. And they do that. I, I was ordained and I was burying people, mm -hmm. um, young people, not old people. 
So, you know, it's a different, it was a different time, different calculus, but I mean, it has many tropes for the pandemic that we're all living in now, a government that is in, that is absolutely atrocious, absolutely not taking care of the community and of the people and of the needs of the community. And that uh, is allowing for a spread of the disease. Hmm. And, and, and from your, and from your perspective, Rabbi Eger, was that, was that, was that the catalyst in terms of working and seeing in this community yes, um, yes. the devastation and the pain and the suffering of saying, I, I, I need to stand up for those who have no voice to stand for themselves. Right. Well, you're standing up for your own family, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Who's, you know, what part of what we have to do is stand for each other. If, if you really live the ideal of love your neighbor as yourself, if you really live that, that means that you have to respond. You can't just turn away and hide. And I think that's true whether you're talking with in the in the 90s with AIDS epidemic, or you're looking at the issues of Black Lives Matter. You can we cannot turn our heads from the systemic racism that is pre- prevalent everywhere in this country. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's about when 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 we teach when we teach spiritual values. Um, It is about helping us recognize how we can actualize those values. We don't just want to read them in a book. We don't just want to read them out of the Torah scroll. We want to be able to embody the spirit and the ideals in which which we believe. Hmm. I love that, that actualizing the values. So you you don't want to just sit there and... I mean, on Sundays at church, we don't want to just consume and just have a consumeristic religion. We just consume what we need, consume what we want, just go back to our comfortable life. Uh, yes. The, 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 the scripture should disturb us and, and get us like a, a little anxious about, well, there's some major injustices around us and, and justice should be overflowing for us. So let's get out and do the work. But it's, there, is, there is a cost, right? And I think Rabbi Durbin and I have talked about this. Um, and so we're in an area that's at also, I would say, at, at the least purple, probably more red. And I know my congregation is more red. So when, you know, I, I preached Black Lives Matter uh, when, when right after you know, George Floyd was murdered. And this can, you're going to get a lot, of, a lot of pushbacks. It costs a lot of friction. So it's like, okay, so how do we begin to start this, this dialogue, especially if you have a, a red and blue parish, um, and so in your experience of you, you've lived through some, you, you know, these hot topics that can divide a congregation or divide a community. Uh, how have you found a way to be able to do that where uh, you can have success with both people at the table and say, can we, can we talk about this? Because we do have an epidemic or a pandemic. We have an issue here. We do have black lives that are being killed before our eyes. Uh, and we need to do something about this. Um, uh, I think we're always bringing on folks here just like, what advice do you have for us? <laughs> um, I think I think those are really I think you're really right spot on. I I think there's a difference, and I I, I think with social justice, it's not about preaching to people. Mm-hmm. It's about listening as Very much good. as is it about preaching to people. And you have to we have to allow the that the person sitting across the table from us is someone also of goodwill. And has uh, you have to lay a groundwork of at least being open to listening. And I think that happens a lot of times that people are so busy caught up in their talking points of whatever they heard and whatever, you know, whether it's MSNBC or Fox, that they're not, that they're not actually encountering the person sitting across from them. And part of, I think, what, at least in Judaism, and I know Rabbi Durbin might be able to comment, one of our great theologians, Martin Buber, talks about an 
having authentic, holy relationships, which they call I-thou relationships, where you're not objectifying the other person in front of you. And that includes someone who disagrees with you. You can't just be dismissive. And so part of it is a learning process, not a preaching to process. I think that uh, we have a phrase that comes out of our Talmud, uh, you know, elu elu divarim chayim. These and both these and these are the words of the living God. Meaning it, it's an example of two rabbis who really disagreed about everything, but both were, both were valid positions, right? In their case. Uh, and part of that was, is that they respected each other and listened to each other. And I think that's, that has to be in a, in a sacred community, whether it's a church or a synagogue or a mosque, we have to treat each other with that sanctity. And that's not happening in, mo in many, many places today. We're just dismissive of each other. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that to me, that's part of how I operate. Even, even in my congregation, I have people that are, do, not, uh, do not agree with me politically, uh, but I don't try not to treat, preach politics. I try to preach and teach, most importantly, teach spiritual values. That's different. We can decide about the wall, building a wall as a matter of public policy on the border, but you mm -hmm. cannot treat immigrants and lock them in cages. That's a different issue. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm giving a lot of thought to this um, um, and, and, and certainly, you know, Rabbi Egger with you coming onto the show and, and, you know, some of the issues and some of the challenges, the social issues that, that manifest itself. You know, I'm always, I'm always, uh, and I struggle with this because, you know, obviously our Torah does say in Leviticus, a man shall not lie with a man as he does a woman. That mentioned once, but if you look at all the other statements that are used, they are used uh, in, in varying degrees, uh, tens if not hundreds of times, right? Don't oppress the stranger for you yourself were a stranger in the land of Egypt, right? 36 we, times, 36 absolutely. times. Right. So why is it, and, and in your in, in, in your theology, in your understanding, why do you think, why do we spend so much time on one statement when some of these statements in the Torah we don't use anymore? It's not applicable. Because we, people are hung up sexually and they're repressed. And we lived in a society that grew out of Victorian England. And that is the reality. It's about culture. It isn't about religion. And frankly, that verse in Leviticus Rabbi Durbin doesn't mean what it says in English. And mm -hmm. we let's go and have a real study about the, what is the word to'eva, which has been translated as abomination, which doesn't mean abomination. It has to do with blasphemy. That whole section is about directions to the priesthood and how ancients worship their god, their pagan gods and goddesses. So let's, let's just stop that. You know, mm -hmm. Fred Phelps, um, his old never rest, um, used to run around and protest in front of churches and synagogues and organizations and at funerals of people uh, with big signs that says, God hates fags. You know, uh, this is the most unholy, unsacred way you can treat somebody. And, um, you know, it's just, it's frankly just ignorance. So well, I, I, that, that where you went, and maybe that would totally be a rabbit hole for us. But what you said right there about Leviticus we don't hear that. I, I was never taught that in seminary. I mean, I, I couldn't believe, I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed the seminary I went to. I loved it. I had a good time. But the, they, I don't, I feel like they, they did not prepare us well for the sexuality conversation, which is what people want to talk about. It's what they come in my office about. They want to know, I have gay friends at high school. Is it wrong? Is whatever. And I would love, and maybe in the second half of the show, we can come back to this again, but, but, or if you could just quickly again, can you, can you go a little bit deeper into what you were saying about that Leviticus? Cause this is a crux of the this whole. This is the crux that we do not do proper human sexuality 
spiritual education, right? If, if we're in the business of helping people be the best thing, why are we denying that our sexuality is a natural part of who we are as human beings, right? And, and the truth is religion has tried to control all of our sexuality. And I'm not su suggesting to run rampant, but think about it. The people who have been against gay marriages for LGBTQ people in this country, it is legal with the uh, Obergefell Hodges case. We know that, uh, that part of the Amy Cohn Barrett uh, nomination and confirmation of her to the Supreme Court, that her philosophy is that she is anti-gay. She doesn't believe that gay people are equal human beings to others. That is clear. She taught and worked for a school and sat on the board of a school that, that taught anti-gay rhetoric. Mm. We religious people, I believe, have an obligation to talk to people in, about their real lives. Otherwise, no wonder they're not in our pews because we're not talking about them, about the real concern. How do I deal with these feelings that I have? How do I put them in a holy context? How do I have a sacred relationship with another human being? That I think is the call that we clergy people, that church, that synagogue ought to be. What about our teenagers? What are we teaching our teenagers? They, if you teach them what you learned in the seminary, they're gonna go around and turn around and go out and laugh at you behind your back. Are you talking to them about the real concerns of dating or are you trying to pretend that they don't know what sex is at 16? Well, I mean, yeah, because I, I remember when uh, my, the Steve Huber, who was the, who came after Reverend Carol Anderson, uh, I was talking to him about, uh, I was doing these seminars in LA, not, not as a religious person, but about how, how women can find the good guy, how they can really find a, a good man. And he's like, we need to do that at the church. It's like, really? He's like, yeah, we never talk about sex. We never talk about dating, but we know our youth leaders, they're out there and they're being, you know, if, it just, if the church is not giving them formation and helping them to give direction and understand and how it's going to take your time in the last some of these departments, we're failing them. We're, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not forming them. I mean, I became part of the reasons I became a marriage activist for LGBTQ equality is was out of that experience of AIDS. I watched how families treated the part, the surviving partner. They dismissed them. The people could have been together 40 years and they walked into their home, took everything that they had acquired together because their son that they hadn't talked to in 30 years died. Now, what we're talking about trying to create holy and an honest relationship. And I want to tell you, Rabbi, the Torah doesn't speak anything about homosexuality, doesn't speak anything about relationships between same-sex couples. It's talking about something completely different. Rape, male-on-male -male rape was a common form of violence in war uh, in the ancient world. And so that's, we have to talk about the realities of our day and our time and help people have healthy, normal, healthy relationships where we can honor and have sanctified relationships. And that's the point of what we've been trying to do. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and, and Rabbi Edgar, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I profess from the pulpit, I profess, you know, obviously um, in person as well, where, where I say to people, look, um, and, and, and I like I like the phrase that you you started with, which of uh, if we are all created in God's image, therefore that teaches us and informs us that if I'm creating God's image, God demands and expects me to love and to be loved, irrespective of sexual orientation or preference. Um, if I am whole and human, um, it, it doesn't mean in terms of the relationships that I form, whether they be um, um, straight, heterosexual, gay, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's 
I say this very passionately because it is something that is at my core, which, which, which largely says it is not for you to judge somebody else. And the second that we come out and we say, that's not right, you've made a judgment call and it's not fair. And if we are whole and we are human and we are craving um, 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 others' uh, involvement and community, that's what it's about, is, is, is about our ability to love and to be loved. Um, you know, I, I, I've used this in the past. I had a, uh, uh, I had a bat mitzvah girl years ago in my former congregation where that was her Torah portion. She came into my office and she slammed the door and she said, Rabbi, if we believe this, I want out. I want nothing to do with Judaism. And I said, you know what? Good for you. Because it is something I do not believe in. As, as I've said uh, publicly on the show before, within my, within my profession, I take the Torah seriously. I do not take it literally. Um, I respect it. I, I understand it. But also the, the, the goal and the aim for Torah is interpretation. It is expansion. It is um, looking at our own society where we are and trying to make sense of it. You know, the words of Torah, as, 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 as we know, are not just meant to be um, quoted. They're meant to be used. Um, and used in impactful and, and, and powerful ways to, to, to bring about change. Um, and, and, you know, the conversations, you know, that we have, I think um, they, they have to go somewhere. Um, and, and, and I am aware of time, and I think we're just going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I, I'd, I'd love to kind of dig a little deeper into that understanding of, you know, how do we have those conversations with people who are closed-minded? How do we have those conversations with people who say, and just, you know, what you're saying, I may be listening, but really I've shut you out because it is not of what I believe. And, and, and it's not about trying to convince somebody or to persuade somebody to have our own feelings, but I think it's about empathy and about understanding to be able to say, I might not agree, I might not see it that way, but at least I can respect it. And I think that there's a huge lack of respect and a huge lack of integrity that we have in this country um, that is only getting much more uh, uh, boiling over to the point where it, is it even rectifiable? And how do we go about making lasting change? So please join us as we take a quick break and we come back with a priest and a rabbi and our very special guest, uh, Rabbi Denise Egger. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A uh, Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And, and I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite 
Christian, and you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode, and it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor or someone to be there for you during a challenging time and you can call the church at 772-287-3244 we also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis they are not counselors they are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome back to a priest and a rabbi. Why should we should say two rabbis and a priest today? So, Father Anderson, feel like a minority? Uh, I can't even say that. I just say I feel like a minority. I'm, I'm a white straight guy. How would I ever feel like a minority, man? I mean, come on. I'm trying to learn and grow as a human being, but um, yeah, I don't know if I could ever say that statement. <laughs> so we are uh, we are here with. Uh, Rabbi Denise Egger out of Los Angeles, West Hollywood, California, kind of, um, you know, addressing addressing some of the major challenges and some of the some of the struggles that uh, are laid before us. Looking at the LGBTQ uh, uh, communities, looking at um, social justice, and you know, on its way towards social action and making making the world a little bit more of a more humbler, a more cohesive, just. Uh, a, a better world, but as we know, our world today is fragmented. Our, our world today is uh, polarized. Um, un- unfortunately, our world today is slightly politicized. Um, you know, and, and trying to find that middle ground, or to try and find that that understanding of coming together to recognize and at least to hear each other's voices. Um, I, I so appreciate what you're saying, Rabbi. And I think one of the things I wanted to share with both you and uh, Father Anderson is is um, we do that in so many different ways, right? It's not just about telling people, it's all about showing and about teaching and about inviting people in to the conversation. Um, and, and one of the ways I did that is also to write this book called Mishkan Ga'ava, Where Pride Dwells, a Jewish celebration of Jewish life and ritual. And part of the reason is this is a book of prayers and uh, that center the voices of LGBTQ people. And um, it's very powerful. It's the, it was published by our denomination, the Central Conference of American Rabbis, Reform Judaism. And it shares a title in part with all of the Reform prayer books, right? Mm-hmm. So our Friday night prayer book has a Mishkan word in it, which in Hebrew is tabernacle, was the ancient place where God dwells. And to imagine that LGBTQ people also dwell in the presence of God is a really important theological statement, kind of back to what we were talking about. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so if, could I share a prayer with you? Because I think it, it, it will tell you, help you, help us in further this conversation about how do we help people, invite people in who don't know, who, who are curious, who may hold different views than ours, to hear a different voice. And um, this one, I want to just share with you, it's a prayer after a loved one came out. So it might be that you're a straight person and a, 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 a sister or a brother or a parent or a child comes out to you. And what do you do with that information? How do you process that, right? Um, you know, do you want, are you angry? Are you surprised? Are you hurt? And this prayer, interestingly enough, was written by somebody not far from where you are, Rabbi Greg Weissman at Temple Beth El in uh, Boca, Boca Raton. So uh, this is a beautiful prayer he wrote. We are all created, B'Tselem Elohim, as a reflection of God. We are all created as an expression of God's loving kindness. We are all created with love. Love is what brings us into being. Love is what we are given so that we can share it with others. We exist so that we can love. At this moment, as my loved one has shared with me a piece of his, her, their neshama, their soul, and told me about their sexual orientation to me, I offer my thanks. I offer my thanks to you, God, for giving me the ability to love. I offer my thanks to you, God, for the gift of this wonderful human being. I offer my thanks to you, God, for their uniqueness and beauty. I offer my thanks to you, God, for giving them the strength to be honest. May this be a step on their journey to finding love in the world, one which I will accompany them all the way. May God guard and guide you on your journey now and forever. This is actually a prayer for somebody to say. Hmm. Right. It changes the moment to be in a moment of prayer rather than reaction. Hmm. And I think, Father Anderson, that's something that we you were like kind of hinting at and struggling at. How do we how do we have prayerful moments when someone differs from us or when there's information rather than just reactive moments? Hmm. And, and I think that's part of this divide question is that we aren't prayerful about it. Hmm. No, no, that's that's right. I mean, we. We had uh, Rabbi Derber and I had a guest on, uh, Reverend Steve Miller, not from the Steve Miller Band, but Steve Miller, who's doing good work of racial reconciliation out in North Texas. Now he travels around the country. And he says, you know, before I even come to your church to help you lead in this work, which will be a marathon, (laughs) it won't be a sprint, that you all need to focus just on um, deep prayer, but also uh, empathetic listening and nonviolent communication. Um, and so he's like those skill sets. So you guys can be praying together on this. So you, the whole, so the spirit is alive. God is alive in this process. So that God is the one who's going to melt your hearts together and see each other heart to heart and not just mind to mind trying to conquer one another. Um, so that empathy can be there, but then how do you empathetic listening is really a skill, right? For, for it you. Is to, a skill. It is a skill. It's not, but in, you know, like in American society, we'd rather be oppositional to each other than to be present with each other. Yeah. And that is something that I think religious people, not just clergy people, but people who really take their faith seriously ought to be engaged in. Right. <laughs> we don't need to be oppositional and angry at each other all the time. So have you been able to. So what was it like for you? Because, you know, I know you're you're a passionate you're a passionate leader. Right. You are an activist. And I'm sure you get in situations where you are around either other clergy leaders from whether your own denomination or other religions who or other folks, parishioners, congregants who just adamantly disagree with you and might come and bring you the heat towards you uh, and might even disparage you. Where do you go to so you can tap into that empathetic listening and see them 
uh, let me see if I get this right, Panim Apanim. Yes, exactly. <laughs> not, seeing, not seeing them as an opponent or someone who just doesn't get it or someone who's stupid, but like, how do you see them just as a loved one and in the image of God? Uh, what, what, what do you sometimes do? It takes all the patience in the world to continue to repeat. You have, sometimes you have to repeat almost like a mantra to remind mm. yourself uh, that, you know, this person is not really angry at me. Mm-hmm. They, they are angry at the world. They are angry at someone else. Uh, and we, you, to really hold their hand and to walk with them through that journey of learning to put their anger into kind of a box. Because you have to get past the anger to have a real empathetic conversation. You can't have a conversation if somebody's fomenting anger at you. And, so, and, and, and Rabbi, in, in your experience and throughout you know, your career in terms of how do you separate in terms of maybe you have members of the community or the wider community that may have comments or say, say things and it becomes too personal. You know, I, I'm, I'm reminded years ago um, uh, of one of my, one of my professors and one of my lecturers in rabbinical school, uh, Rabbi Sheila Shulman of blessed memory, who would always say that you need to have a veil. And I think it's one of the common things that as clergy, we understand that we have to veil ourselves in some to distance in some way because we, it may become too personal and we may expose of ourselves maybe something that we're not quite ready or willing to to go down that that path. But you know, in your in your career and through your expertise, you know, how do you how do you how do you engage in that conversation when it, when when it may become too personal and it's it, it's too personal? Well, I mean, you have to have good self care. First of all, that, that, that's, that's true for any, any leader. It's true for clergy, for sure. And it's true for any leader. And, you know, this coronavirus has really taught us all, I think, about how important self-care is. And I don't just mean physical self-care. It's also about emotional and mental well-being. That's important for any leader, whether they're a clergy or a lay leader. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first part. Um, the second part is, is to also understand you have to have a spiritual well to draw on. Um, I, I really believe that spirituality and re- and religion as a one expression of spirituality is a cri- is critical to to human well being. We ask eternal questions as human beings, and um, our society today, uh, as secular as it is, and continues to grow and say part of the anger. I believe part of the anger that we see in the world is because people's spiritual needs aren't being met, mm. and there's not permission. Uh, in our society to really engage in those spiritual quests that we need to gauge. There's a lot of religion, but there isn't a lot of spirituality always. Mm. And so I think it's a challenge. Uh, I think it's a challenge often. There's a lot of gurus out there, right? People, oh, my pastor says this, my rabbi says this, right? As if that is synonymous with deep spiritual quest. It is not. And so we don't, we don't, I think I know it's true in synagogue life and maybe, maybe Rabbi Durbin, you, you, you know this. And I mean, I think, I actually think Father Anderson, there's a little bit more spiritual formation work that's done in church work um, than there is in synagogue work, but there isn't enough work done period in our world around spiritual identity, spiritual formation, and helping people with the practices that they need to live a spiritual life, which is what we talked about earlier in the show today. Right which was living out the values, not just reading them in a book. I had a Talmud professor 
at our seminary in Los Angeles, they used to say the church that ain't no good on Sunday ain't no good on Monday. Meaning if all you do is sitting in the pews and reading the prayer book, and then you don't go back out on Monday and live the prayer book, what good is it? Right. That's right. And like, you know, you get to, because I remember talking with my boss, the, the head priest at the church about when, when our country just five months ago reactivated, or let's say turned the volume up on the conversation about race. Uh, I wanted to go real hard and real strong and um, from the pulpit and just all together in, in formation about race. And he said, I think, you know, he was, he's, he's a really good mentor, but he was mirroring what you were saying. The idea is that we have to come from a place first of spiritual formation. It has to start there because that's, what's going to break down our hearts. Um, if you start here and just want to start about talk about racial reconciliation, you might lose a lot of people. People are going to come in with a lot of defenses up. They might not even show up. They might even hear you two minutes into your sermon. They're, they're tapping out for whatever reason, not because this, they, they don't, not because they have a judgment towards black people or whatever. They just, you might lose them. But if you start from a deep spirituality first, let's get there first and let's let our hearts be open to what the spirit is talking. And then we can hear each other's stories. Then we can have compassion and empathy towards one another. And then we can actually hopefully be activated to now take on the injustices that we see around us. And now we can see it better and hear and feel each other's pain and say, I had no idea that our neighbors over in that neighborhood were going through such horrors i had no idea um, well that's the other thing you can't we you know like like we're we're three white people sitting in this conversation talking about race like mm-hmm. we need to shut up and we need to be listening to people of color they right. need to be the voices that we are just encountering and listening to and um you know i have a very diverse con my congregation is very diverse not just white around sexual orientation but around color around ethnicity around socioeconomics um we people are very balkanized in this country right they they live in certain kinds of neighborhoods they don't interact racially they don't right but so we have to we i think clergy and i think our synagogues and churches have a responsibility to do that, to help people encounter one another. And it's the same. It's what we've been saying this whole time this morning is about encountering the other as a true human being and truly listening. And so um, whether it's about LGBTQ issues or around race um, or around poverty, issues of poverty, we need to hear the people who are experiencing that and honor their experience as primary, not just say, oh yeah, well, my white, my white experience is different. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got a lot of privilege. There, right. So you're never going to figure it out. You're never going to, I think, I think part of it too, you know, is also, you know, as, as you said, which is, it, it's about awareness. I mean, just, just open your eyes, see what is around and internalize. It. I remember as a kid, I mean, I grew up in a very large, uh, very large reformed synagogue in Canada growing up. And I remember, you know, on the high holidays, that you know, a black family walked into the into the sanctuary, and like all heads turned. And I remember saying to my mom, "I don't understand. Why are people staring?" Well, you know, they don't look like us. What does that even mean? Don't look like us. They're Jews of every race, every color, every every you know, all over the world. And I think growing up, it was one of those things of, you know, I, it, it's a big austere building. There are, uh, uh, you know. Thousands of white people coming together to 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 worship for for uh, you know an important holiday and 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 to think for themselves and 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 I just remember the image and I remember the rabbi uh, the senior rabbi at the time really just stopping services and just waiting for people to to be quiet um, which was something I, I'd never seen before I mean my senior rabbi and bless him um, 
great mentor, led me through rabbinical school, just an amazing, amazing guy. But it was one of those things of, you know, the message I got out of it was what you all are doing in the sanctuary is counterproductive to what the message of the high holidays are, which is about humility and understanding who you are and not judging somebody by the content of their skin or their color or whatever it may be, but, but that we, we, we've made that judgment of somebody else. And, and, you know, granted that was 30 years ago. Are we any much different 30 years ago than we are today? Well, Rabbi, let me ask you a question. So when you have your book, um, would you recommend it? Because in the I, I don't know about in, in the uh, in the reform uh, tradition, but in, in the Christian tradition, we're, the divide the division between those who are open to um, uh, it's, it, 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 it's a huge division, right? And so it's almost to the point where it's like, let's right now let's not talk about it. Can we just go do the work together we need to do? Because we know we're not getting anywhere right here. Um, so if we can learn to just say, cause you know, churches are splitting and all the stuff, the Episcopal church experienced that. Um, and we have mission churches that we work with in other countries and they know where we stand. We know where they're standing, but we'll say, can, can we just focus on the bigger picture right now? Cause this conversation is not going to go anywhere. Uh, but at a certain point we have to revisit this conversation, obviously again, um, at least in the Christian tradition, would you say like your book would be a good place to, you said some things today, which I think are really helpful. It has to get back to scripture. It's going to really help us. I think at least in the Christian tradition, um, there's people who do, it has to be in the word and to hear things like when you were, how you were just giving a little exegesis there on Leviticus, that's powerful. That's very helpful. And if we had someone, if I knew someone who was like, listen, I'm struggling with this. I know scripture says this, but I, my heart is saying this, and I want to be more open to this idea because I feel terrible that homosexuals are being excluded from my church. What would be like a good place for them to start? You know, and I don't know if your book is a place for the for, for a beginning of no, that. My or book just... is a place. It, my book is a place to start. It's it's available on Amazon. You can if you even just write where pride dwells. Um, you don't have to worry with the Hebrew title where pride dwells. It'll come up on Amazon. Um, there's a, there's, there's a, a, um, the introduction actually has a, a tremendous amount of information that you're, you're talking about, trying to understand the context, the spiritual context, the history of, uh, LGBTQ acceptance in reform Judaism. Part of the book is a, a personal prayer book, uh, for individuals and dealing with the voice and spirituality of the LGBTQ, the non-binary person, non-gender conforming. How do you take a moment in their lives and our lives and make it a holy moment. So there's a prayer here for, for uh, transgender people who are transitioning to, uh, to bless their transition, to uh, a prayer for non-binary people to affirm their, uh, that God, in, if we look in the first Genesis story, male and female, God created them. There's a midrash in the Jewish tradition that the first human was both male and female, non-binary. So the third part of the book is about what I call the gay holiday cycle, right? So we all have holidays. You're coming up to your big season. Advent's going to start in a few weeks. We have Halloween and All Saints Day. And then Advent, you're going to come into Look your at you. Season. Look at you. And we just alien. finished our big high holy day season from Rosh Hashanah to Simchat Torah, the rejoicing of the Torah and all the holidays in between. There's also a gay holiday season. And we're coming into a time in November that'll be Trans Awareness Week ending on November 20th with Transgender Day of Remembrance, followed on December 1st by World AIDS Day, followed after the first of the 
the year for Lesbian Visibility Day. And we all know, people know more, more familiar with Gay Pride. But in October, we just celebrated, you mentioned it earlier, this has been Gay History Month, the month of October. We're just ending today, uh, ending today and tomorrow. And National Coming Out Day was in October. So in this book are prayers, that things that can be used for an interfaith service in celebration of, of, of pride, for a serve Friday night service, for transgender day of remembrance, for Sabbath services. So there's things in here that are good, not just for Jews, but uh, for, the, for Christians and for people who have no faith at all, uh, as a way to express a spiritual approach to affirming LGBTQ life. And I think that is where we have to begin. We have to affirm people's humanity because part of the tactic, Father Anderson, has been to dehumanize LGBTQ people. That has been the tactic. It's been the tactic in Christianity. It has been the tactic in, that has influenced our legal system. This is why we had to fight for marriage equality, why we had to fight for not special rights, but equal rights in this country. And that is going to continue to be the conversation with your mission churches in Africa. How do we affirm the humanity of LGBTQ people? And if people want to do more of that work and they're curious to just understand more and learn more, can they reach out to you like via Twitter or how can they contact yeah, you? Yeah, you can reach me on Twitter at, at Denise Eger, D-E-N-I-S-E-E-G-E-R. You can follow me on my page on Facebook, Rabbi Denise L. Eger. Um, and so, uh, or my blog, uh, which you can find at RabbiEger.com. Well, we are uh, nearing the end of the show here. And um, again, and we know it's, it's hopefully the light is coming out now. It's not just still dark out there on the West Coast. So you, now you can coming get out. your day started. And, Sunrise uh, is happening. Um, so I think you just gave us, if there are people on how they can find you, they can go online. You've got a website, you've got a blog, you got, you're on Twitter, right. you're active there. And you know, the Amazon, Amazon, where pride dwells or the ccarpress.org. Uh, is also uh, that has, and you can get it on Kindle uh, and, and in uh, book form. And and as we as we're as we're nearing um, the end, just we have a couple minutes left. Just um, you know, Brother Egger, in terms of where's the hope? I mean, you know, do we see hope in the future? I mean, it, the way I see it is at least our society today seemingly seems to be a little bit more open to engage in a conversation, conversations that are not being stifled, that are actually being heard and listened to that we're, we're we're more of a society that is more expressive more verbal in 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 our opinions i i think i think what's i think that for me the hope is when i look at young people and i see the generations coming up behind me of of uh, that they are clear that the environment matters that they know that there is a stake if we don't take pay serious attention that they understand this conversation about race, that Black Lives Matter. It doesn't mean that all people don't matter. It means that we have to listen to the voices and the concerns. We have to hear that they, these young people know that LGBTQ people are human, that it is one of the myriads of ways that we express our human sexuality. So my hope is in the young generations um, and that they are going to transform the world that we have begun to transform, but they will finish. Well, I, uh, we are at the end of the show. Um, uh, again, on behalf of uh, Priest and a Rabbi, um, I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for availing yourself and engaging in a conversation that uh, I know has, has hopefully uh, enlightened many uh, who have either tuned in or will download us later. Um, but I think it's an important conversation that needs to happen uh, and one that has to be uh, empathetic and, and really being that non-judgmental ear that 
that acknowledges the, the challenges that are set before us. So Rabbi Eger, thank you um, from the bottom of our heart um, for engaging in a, uh, in a very powerful and impactful conversation. Great to be with you both, be well. Peace. Thank you.